Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we have an amazing show lined up for you. It is focused on some of the most vulnerable people in Indian country and really throughout the world. It doesn't matter what demographic background you come from. This is something that is relevant for you today. If you're a parent, a grandparent, we're talking about our children and some of the things that challenge them today and things that can help them not only to survive but to thrive. Our guest today is Robert Kahn. Robert, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me with you. Robert, you have one of the more interesting backgrounds as far as guests that I've had on the show. I know you've served as a deputy sheriff, you're an educator, you're an author. Tell us a little bit about how all those things came together. Well, the way they came together is I was a sixth grade teacher in one county, but I was a reserve deputy in the county I live in. And one day the sheriff of the county I teach in came up to me and said, hey, we're losing our DARE officer. We understand you have a law enforcement background. Would you be interested in doing DARE? And I thought, this is great. I can be a teacher and do my law enforcement. So I made the career change. Wow. So now I think most folks who are tuning in have heard of the DARE program. I mean, it's so widespread. But just break that down a little bit for some folks who may not be familiar with all that it involves. Sure. DARE was Drug Abuse Resistance Education, and it taught children how to say no to peer pressure and the consequences if they decide to do drugs. How did you feel as someone who was running that program? How did you feel about the effectiveness of the program? It had a few problems, but it was the best thing out there, and it had much more positive. Unfortunately, it got some bad publicity, which I don't think was um, acclimated. I, the D.A.R.E. program, I think, helped children a lot to be able to say no when offered. No, and I so appreciate that emphasis because I think it's so easy to be molded by those who are around us. And it's not just, of course, our peers, but also our, our parents or family of origin. So uh, our hat's off to you for making that commitment to children, not only in the classroom, but Uh, through law enforcement. You did, though, at some point, Bob, take it to another level. You wanted to get a message out to a broader audience. Tell us how that all evolved. Well, it all evolved. I was very interested in preventing stranger abduction. And I spoke to one of my counselors at a school, and he said, sure, come practice. So I went one day, and I practiced at his school, and I left after and I taught deer that day also and the next day he called me and it had been a snowy day and there were three children standing at a bus stop and he said you'll never guess what just happened I said what he said a man rode up to the three of the children you taught stranger danger to on a horse and said hey kids school's been canceled one of you get on my horse and I'll give you a ride home Well, my heart sank. 
Mm. And I thought, uh oh. So I said, what happened? He goes, they did exactly what you told them. They said no. They ran away. They waited for the bus driver and told her. And I said, so I went running down to the sheriff. And I said, we were really lucky this time, but we better get the clue. And he was a child advocate. He said, I want you to pilot a stranger danger program. I go, I can't. I go, I teach DARE three days a week. And I'm on patrol two days a week. He goes, you're off patrol. So that's Mm. how it all started. That is exciting. As an educator myself, I've taught in a couple of different uh, college classrooms as a regular teacher, uh, professor. And um, one of the things that's hard in education, just like radio, I mean, you don't always get feedback from what you're doing, but it's so powerful as you're getting something started to get that kind of immediate feedback that what you're doing is not only meeting a need, but actually potentially saving lives. I mean, that's an exciting story. So you were coming into classrooms throughout your county pretty much doing both the D.A.R.E. curriculum and teaching kids uh, about the stranger danger uh, curriculum that you developed? Yes. Um, I went to another principal and I explained, you know, I wanted to pilot the stranger danger program. And he said to me, Bob, my school is your school. So that's where I got to pilot the program. And eventually I taught it in every school in our county every year. And I got to teach the program to other officers throughout the state. And so it was very dynamic in its day. Now, that's exciting. And it's even more exciting that you said, hey, I've learned a lot of things that can help children. I'm not going to be in classrooms throughout the whole country, throughout the world. And you decided to actually begin writing books on these themes. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, my program was very successful. As a matter of fact, just in my county, it's foiled 44 documented attempts. And there's really many more because most attempts go undocumented. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to write a book and get it out there everywhere. But I knew I was missing something. And one day I went into a fourth grade class and this little girl came up to me and she goes, Deputy Khan, guess what happened? I go, what? She goes, I was walking to the post office last weekend, and this stranger was really gutsy because the post office was right across from the sheriff's substation. And he drove up and he said, hey, kid, get in my car. And I said, oh, my, what'd you do? She goes, I did exactly what you taught me. She goes, I said no. I ran away, and I told my grandmother, and we called the sheriff's office. I said, that's really good. I go, what would have you done if I hadn't been teaching this to you the last three years? And she said, I would have gotten into the car. And when I could regain my composure, I said, why would have you gotten into that car? And she goes, because my parents teach me to respect all adults. And I knew right then and there that was the line I was missing from my books. You know, you should respect adults, but only if you and your parents know them well. If a stranger asks you something, you don't have to respond. You're not being rude. You're being safe. Strangers need to talk to other grown-ups for help. That is a very powerful message. And as you are pulling these things together, real-life experiences, working with children across the whole demographic spectrum, I know you're based in Nevada, correct? 
So plenty of Native youth out there, as well as folks from uh, African-American, Hispanic, Latino, Latina backgrounds. Uh, so you got everything there in Nevada. I mean, you and I were neighbors for many years. I lived in Placer County, just over the uh, California-Nevada line. So uh, not me personally right over the line, but our county went all the way out to your state. So I'm aware, diverse population your messaging is connecting with kids. When did the book actually get written? And the book itself got written in 1995. And um, then I had some challenges. The first publisher ended up getting shut down by the FBI. They never embezzled me. So it took me two years to get my writing rights back. And then this publisher I'm still with has picked me up. Well, very glad that you found uh, somebody to partner with who uh, wasn't absconding with funds from the author's proceeds or whatever it was. So what is the name of the first book that you wrote? They're After My Children, which is Bobby and Mandy. And the whole series is Bobby and Mandy. The first book is this one, Bobby and Mandy's Too Safe for Strangers. And that's that started all the other books. Okay, so those of you, if we're able to release some uh, additional video content along with this radio interview, Bob was showing us their book. The book looked uh, quite manageable. It's a children's book. Is it like eight and a half by 11 size? It's a magazine type size? Yeah, and it's for anybody, anybody who works with children and the child can read to themselves. And this is the one book I say they should read every five weeks to keep the tips fresh in their mind. Because if they're ever approached by a bad stranger, it's quick and you got to know what to do. It's not something you can read once and put away forever. So do me a favor. You've got the book in front of you. Why don't you read something from the book for us, just so we can get a flavor for what the book is? And again, the title of the book, give that one more time for us. Oh, right here. It's Bobby and Mandy's Too Safe for Strangers. And you can find it on my website, which is www.bobbyandmandy, is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, dot com. Okay, let me make sure I've got this right. Bobby, is it B-O-B-B-Y? Yes. Okay, Bobby, and, the word and, right? Yeah, uh-huh. A-N-D. Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E? Dot okay. com. Bobbyandmandy.com. And you can order the books right off of there. They're on Amazon. They're in bookstores. They're on barnesandnoble.com. They're on walmart.com. They're everywhere. Okay, we got it. So read some from uh, this uh, first in the edition of Bobby and, and Mandy books. I'll read you these two pages. Okay. Okay. And nice illustrations for those of you that can't see them. I'm admiring some of the artwork. A bad stranger will say more than hello to you. Bad strangers have bad tricks to get you to go with them. They will say things like, I can't find my dog. Here is a picture of her. Have you seen her? Will you help me look for her? If something like this ever happens to you, say no, run away, tell a grown-up friend you trust. Okay, great messaging. It brings me back to a childhood experience. I'll just uh, share it with you. I know you've heard probably hundreds of these or thousands uh, once a friend and I, I think we were going to the store. I mean, we were, I don't know, probably eight or ten. And uh, I forget where, whether we were walking or riding our bike. And a 
gentleman pulls up in his car and says, I'm having trouble buttoning my uh, cufflinks here, my cuffs on my shirt. Could one of you help me? And uh, I hadn't read your book. Uh, it might be dating myself a bit since uh, I was born before 1995. But uh, I had gotten the same kind of training that you had said. I said, no, let's get out of here. And then we just ran off. I don't know if we went so far as telling someone right away, but we definitely uh, let our folks know afterward. But you're right. I, I can see the wisdom getting that word out sooner because this guy, if he has malicious intent, he's probably not going to stop with the first kids who didn't button his cufflinks, right? Yeah, exactly. And and you were right. And it is scary. Most attempts do go unreported. People should report them right away and get law enforcement in the area. Great. So you have not uh, just written a book on the topic of stranger danger. You have written, is it correct, seven other books? Seven other books, yes. So we want to talk about these different titles that you've pulled together. And uh, I know you got a lot of important messages for children, for adults, for those who care about them. Can you give us just a really quick overview just in terms of what the other titles are before we launch into some of them in more detail? Sure. My next book was I would being the dare officer going to the schools and I'd go out on recess and I'd see children being bullied and they wouldn't do anything. And so I got together with another counselor and we wrote Bobby and Mandy's say, uh, too smart for bullies, which that was one of the first programs in America. And um, now school districts are very proactive in bullying, but back then there wasn't much. And so that was very, very helpful to the children. Um, after that, some of the worst incidents I heard of were children being touched in inappropriate ways. So I wrote a book on that. And then I realized while teaching that program, not all children were being touched in inappropriate ways, but having bad things happen to them. So I wrote mm. Bobby and Mandy's Don't Hide Abuse. And um that that uh that gives tips on what to do if a child knows another child is being abused. Bob, you've got a lot of great stuff. We're going to be talking more about practical lessons for everybody tuning in today, and we'll hear about some of the other books as well as uh, launching into the topic of bullying in our next segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. A lot more coming up with Robert Kahn. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Robert Kahn. We're speaking about important messaging for your children, for your grandchildren, for uh, other kids in the tribe or in your community. If you want to make a difference, uh, Bob has been doing this as a law enforcement officer, now as an author, as an educator for many years. Bob, we want to especially in this segment talk about bullying, but before we go there, I know you've just got a wealth of information about stranger danger, and I think a lot of the audience, if they've been with us from the top of the hour, they're relating to some of these stories. It may do for them what it did for me, bring back some memories, some things that may not be uh, as pleasant as the story I shared. But give us uh, another illustration of something that really drove the importance of this messaging home to you. Sure. Um, Stranger danger is awkward to teach. That's why I wrote the book. And again, you should get the book and read it to your children. It's written in a non-threatening way. I had one I used to show, um, I'd go in and talk and show video and then do role playing. So I got all the learners. I got, you know, the audio, the visual, the kinesthetic. And I went into a fifth grade class to set up a dare schedule. And this girl came up to me and she goes, we want to watch Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh was a Walt Disney film, which I showed to kindergartner first, second graders. It was called Too Smart for Strangers. And I said, Joanna, I don't show Winnie the Pooh to fifth graders. She goes, we want to watch Winnie the Pooh. I go, Joanna, you're not listening to me. I don't show Winnie the Pooh to fifth graders. She goes, Deputy Khan, you're not listening to me. We want to watch Winnie the Pooh. So I said, okay, I'll come back Wednesday morning. I'll show the movie. I'll sit in the back with your teachers and set up the dare schedule and I'll leave. And so that Wednesday morning, and I did. And I did exactly what I said. I showed the movie, and I left. 
The next day, a deputy calls me from that town. And he goes, you'll never guess what just happened here. I go, no, what? He goes, we had an attempt. And he goes, the little girl said she moved here from California, had never had a stranger danger program, and wouldn't have known what to do if it hadn't been for that Winnie the Pooh film. So wow. very important that parents or who's ever taking care of the child teaches them about stranger danger. Now, if I've ever seen Winnie the Pooh, uh, I mean, I know who the character is. I don't know if I've, I've seen the film. Did you actually show the Disney film? And, and there's some lessons in that film about Stranger Danger, or you use those characters to teach a lesson? No, it, it was an actual, it was a, I go back a long way. It was a VHS tape, and it explained exactly who a stranger was and gave different situations and showed the child what to do if they were approached. Okay, so I've got it. So Winnie the Pooh was one of the characters featured in this. It wasn't the actual Winnie the Pooh movie. No, it wasn't the Winnie the Pooh movie, but it was Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore and Tigger. Okay, you've painted the picture for me, so now I've got it. So this is great. So you have a lot of experience helping kids uh, say no to, uh, I mean, really, life-threatening, serious situation with strangers but you also realized that kids were being endangered by their own peers. And this whole topic of bullying, like you mentioned, Bob, yes, there's a lot of attention that's been uh, directed to this currently. But I still, I mean, all of us, we still hear about these incidents, whether it's online, whether it's in the school environment. Tell us uh, how that curriculum all developed for you. The way it developed is, like I said, I was going out on recess and watching kids being bullied and they wouldn't do anything. And, I mean, I know there's adults running around with scars from being bullied. I was bullied. You probably were bullied, too. And um, I realized there's got to be something we can do to stop this. So I got together with a counselor friend of mine, and we wrote my second book, which is Bobby and Mandy's Too Smart for Bullies, which gives all the tips about what to do. And the main tip in there is if you're bullied, don't keep it a secret. This is not a secret to be kept. You need to tell people. And if the first person you tell doesn't listen, you need to keep telling till someone will and help you. And every state in, in our country has laws against bullying. So if nothing else can be done, you can make a police report. So help us understand technically what bullying is. I mean, a lot of people say, well, we know if, you know, if some kid is is beating somebody up, hiding in the bushes and jumps out, I mean, that's bullying. But there's a lot more emphasis today on verbal forms of bullying. Technically, how does someone know as a child that they're being bullied? How do they own that and define that and say, hey, this is happening to me? When they're being intimidated and they really start feeling poorly about themselves, that's the time to talk to someone. Because it won't go away on its own. It will only get worse. And unfortunately, a bully is a bully because they're usually being bullied by somebody else. So they're trying to make themselves feel better. Yeah, it's an amazing topic. I mean, years ago, I had a fellow who's an expert in workplace bullying. And he really had some interesting insights. One of the stereotypes is, you know, that the bullies pick on someone who's weak and, you know, passive. And this fellow was saying, at least in the workplace, a lot of the people that are bullied don't meet that stereotype. They may be uh, 
people that um, the bully actually is threatened by their, you know, their abilities or other things. Is that true with kids as well, or is that more of a workplace dynamic? I believe that's more of a workplace. Usually a bully will pick on a smaller, weaker child, one that he doesn't think can protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I would have guessed. And, you know, thinking back on on my experience in childhood, yes, I mean, the people that picked on me, they weren't smaller than me. And uh, looking up to my athletic prowess, they were thinking they could dominate over me. Um, Can I put you on the spot and ask you to read something from the bully book for us? Well, I'd love to, but I don't have a bully book with me. Oh, okay. But one of the things I have in there is, if you're being bullied, this is not a secret to be kept. If you tell someone, hey, I still sleep with my teddy bear, that's okay. The friend can keep that secret. But if you tell a friend you're being bullied, and by who? If you won't tell, the friend needs to tell somebody. Okay, so let me see if I've got this. So we shouldn't think of this as a sign of weakness if we're a peer. So another child, if they're aware that some other child is being picked on, being bullied, then if the victim hasn't raised his or her voice, the friend of the victim should do that. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. Because the child is reaching out to someone and telling them, hey, you know, this is making me feel really bad about me. So, yeah. I guess what makes it so complicated is often the bully does threaten the victim, right? He often says that you better not tell anyone about this and give me your lunch money or give me your food. And if you tell anyone, something worse is going to happen. Isn't that the stereotype? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the main focus of the bully program at school, at children in school. So it is possible that another child, when they're telling one of their peers, they're going to say, but don't tell anyone because this guy's going to do something worse. And part of your education is saying, no, if this is happening to you, if it's happening to someone that you know about, uh, help them to get help. Yeah. I'll give you the perfect example. I um, was loaned out to other schools to teach the stranger danger. And we went to California for two days to teach the stranger danger. And when it was over, the principal asked me to read the bully book to the whole school. And I thought, this is never going to work. But I did it. There was about 600 children in the auditorium. I read my bully book. And as soon as I got done reading, four of the children ran up to the principal and said, that's been happening to us. And that's who's doing it. So, yeah, not a secret to be kept. Okay. That's a tremendous story. And it really illustrates the power of the spoken word, whether we're doing a radio show, whether we are able to release some video footage with this show whether it's a book that a parent, a teacher is reading. And this really connects with Native culture and the power of story, the power of teaching through lessons, because really all your books, even though they have these underlying principles, they're all embedded in stories that feature your own children who were Bobby and Mandy, correct? That is correct. So this is helping me to remember your website, and no doubt uh, my listeners as well. So Bobby is straightforward, B-O-B-B-Y. Mandy, that one you challenged us all. Spell her name again. M-A-N-D-E-E. My wife's name is Candy, and she had the K-A-N-D-E-E. So that's oh. why we, we changed it to Mandy when she was Okay. Born. 
So we've got Bobby and Mandy. And for those of you who just jumped on in this segment, you're saying, well, why are you emphasizing the spelling of his kids' names? Well, it's because that's your website, right? If people want any of the books, they're going to go to bobbyandmandy.com. Have I got that right? That's right. So, Bob, let me ask you this. If someone jumps on that website right now, are they going to find anything beside a place to purchase the books? Are there any other resources there? On the beginning page is a wonderful video. It explains five of the books. And then above, you can contact me. It talks about the books. You can order the books. It gives testimonials of people that have bought the books. So, yeah, it's a very nice website. Very user-friendly. Um, at the top is the different little things you can click on to go to that page. Great, great. So I'm going to go to Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, and the word and, A-N-D, Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E.com, and I can uh, tap into all those resources, right? Yes. We're talking with Robert Kahn. He's got a lot more to share. Don't miss it. Coming up right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's samhsa.gov support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest is Robert Kahn. He is an author who's been changing lives for a number of decades, not only through his books, but through his personal appearances at schools, his work as an educator, his work in law enforcement. And we're learning some of the best tips that he has gleaned over the years that he's been communicating to audiences really throughout the world by virtue of his writing career. Bob, we have talked about topics like stranger danger and bullying and some practical messages for us to communicate to our children, our grandchildren, and uh, for any kids who are tuning into the show today, just definitely things they can take to heart. But one of the other topics that we're hearing a lot about, and even if it's not in the news, those of us that are in clinical work, as a physician, I hear so many stories of people who trace some of their mental health issues or physical health problems to inappropriate, well, violation of their bodies, inappropriate touch that occurred at a very young age. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up dealing with that topic. I had someone very close to me who suddenly wasn't functioning. And this was a very intelligent person, very good worker, and just was basically on autopilot. And so finally, when they got to the root of the problem, it turned out she had been inappropriately touched at an early age. And I thought, you know, there's got to be something someone can do before 30 years later, and this happens to someone else and all the guilt and all the bad thoughts. So I perfected a good touch, bad touch program, which was hard to teach. And I unraveled many wrenching um, students that it had happened to. But it turned out for me that it was better they were caught at a young age and they could get the help right away than to carry this burden for many years. This is really a, a sensitive topic, and the whole concept of good touch, I think a lot of people, they want to make it very black and white and say, don't let anybody touch you for any reason, etc. And I could see where someone might say, well, there's some safety in that. But help us to understand why it was important to you to emphasize that good touch as well as bad touch. What was important about that was we would talk about good touches and then we would talk about bad touches, which was kind of the opposite from my programs, because this didn't come from strangers. This came from people you usually knew well. And so we'd have to talk about that. And as a matter of fact, I had one who was very sad. This teacher had been asking me all year, to teach the good touch, bad touch. And that was the one school the counselor would not let me teach it. And Mm. I kept explaining I can't. So finally, towards the end of the year, she retired. So I went running into the new counselor. And I explained who I was. And I had this good touch, bad touch program. And I had one teacher who had been requesting it. But I always taught it with the counselor. And the counselor agreed. But she said, 
I can only be there for a few minutes because I have a meeting that day. I go, that's fine, as long as you're there at the start. So she came in, and then she left, and I taught my program. And there was this cute little girl you would have never, because I looked for the signs. You would have never guessed. And she raised her hand, and she said, what if it happened a long time ago? I go, well, you still have to tell. You know, this person has to be stopped. And so I went on to other questions and the little girl raised her hand again and said, well, what happened if it happened a really long time ago? And I said, you still need to tell because the bad person won't stop with just you. And um, the next thing I knew, that little girl was over to the teacher crying. The teacher was crying and they went to the counselor. And that's the one who the teacher was worried about and so I thought to myself I don't care anymore if I ever have another counselor that won't let me teach it I'm teaching it Mm. you know because unfortunately the average pedophile will touch 50 or more children before they're caught Wow, this is just, uh, it's an incredible statistic. And I i mean, I understand, I think, at least from my vantage point, why you would want to emphasize good touch, because these are often loving people that you trust in your relationship. We don't, we don't want to say a, a father or a mother can't give their child a hug, right? But it's often these uh, close family members that are the ones that end up doing inappropriate things. And that's why there needs to be this understanding for what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. Am I reading that correctly? Right. And again, not a secret to be kept because that's what the bad person will tell them. If you tell, I will hurt your dog or hurt your mother or whatever. Don't keep it a secret. So basically you've been, pulling together curricula on a variety of disciplines, whether it's dealing with stranger danger, whether it's dealing with bullying, whether it's dealing with inappropriate touching. I know we've talked about three themes, but you're an author of eight books. I mean, what, where else do you go in some of your writing that's made an impact on children? Okay. Um, when I was teaching the good touch, bad touch, I realized not all, all children that had a problem were being touched inappropriately. So I worked again with the first counselor I did the bully book with, and we were at one on don't hide abuse, which that's, you know, again, not a secret to be kept. They have to tell. And um, from there, what happened was one of my, stranger danger children that that got away he had a very bizarre home life and um he knew he was going to get in trouble when he went home that day and he committed suicide so i said oh my goodness so i got together with my counselor and that first counselor who i wrote the other two books with and we wrote bobby and mandy's too solid for suicide which has the tips in there, what to look for if a child is miserable and thinking about taking their life. So that was very instrumental. I really love this suicide prevention book because this is so applicable. And and of course, 
it doesn't matter where you go. In Indian country, I've heard many, you know, discussions about suicide and suicide prevention, but it's definitely not a exclusively Native American issue. I mean, this is something that's impacting people across the whole spectrum. And especially when we talk about kids, I think many people would say this is the greatest tragedy when you have a child whole life ahead of himself or herself, and then they take their life. So give us a little bit of um, insight into this. Were you writing that book especially for adults, for parents and grandparents to pick up on the signs of a child who might be suicidal, or were you writing it with the child in mind, things that, uh, that could help make them more resilient so that they wouldn't take that step? Um, the book is written for everybody, and it's got the tips what to look for from other people if a child is suddenly thinking of taking their life. They'll give their possessions away. They won't change their clothes. They'll come to school dirty. You know, they just won't care about anything. And people often neglect these signs, and that's the signs you need to be looking at. Well, that's a powerful message. What about the kids? And you mentioned the title. Is it too strong for suicide? Is that what I heard? Too solid for suicide. Okay, too solid for suicide. So is there some messaging for the children as well in the context of that book? Absolutely. The messaging is you can always talk to people. There's people that will listen and will help you. Now, I don't know what you think about this, but there's a friend of mine and uh, he has shared about his childhood. He's a popular speaker as well, so people may have heard his uh, recounting of some of his troubled youth experiences. And I remember two of the things he said. He, he said he often contemplated suicide, but one of the things that kept him from ever taking his life— Now, I'm telling you this, Robert, because I want you to give me feedback, whether you think this sounds good or whether I'm worrying you— said one of the reasons he never took his life is because he said, well, things are bad now, but they might get really, they might get better. I mean, there might be some really good things that I would miss if I killed myself. And the other thing he said that kept him from um, trying to take his life is he said, I heard about these people that tried to kill themselves and they ended up much worse off. They jumped from a great height, but they survived or they took some pills and it made them sick or crippled for the rest of their life. So are those helpful ways to look at why suicide attempts are not a good idea? Or would you say, yeah, there's probably better ways to address the topic than that? Oh, there's definitely better ways. Um, I think what your friend felt was very real. But unfortunately, a person that is so depressed, if they're set on the idea, that's why you need to watch for the warning signs ahead of time. Because if they're set on it, are going to try. No, that's an important message. So what about some of the other books you've put together that have lessons for us that are, are practical? Okay. Um, one book, I started one of the first bike safety programs in our county. So I have Bobby and Mandy's Bicycle Safety. Another book which I really like, and it's bad things happen at Halloween. It's Bobby and Mandy's monster tips for a happy Halloween. And it gives all Mm. the tips how to be careful at Halloween. This is for my teaching career. 
some of my students or parents would be going through divorce and the child thought it was their fault and it wasn't their fault at all. So I put together Bobby and Mandy's, my parents are getting divorced and it's not my fault. And that talks a lot about why the child shouldn't feel guilty about it. You know, one of the topics that uh, you've just mentioned that you devoted a whole book to is bicycle safety. And I think a lot of people, Bob, when they hear about bicycle safety, they say, well, I mean, you know, how complicated is this? Why do you need to write a whole book? I want to talk about that in our next segment. But before we step away, for folks who haven't gotten the website yet, they're interested in some of your books, they'd like to watch that free video that kind of introduces the various resources you have, give us uh, one more time how someone can go to your website. Sure. It's bobbyandmandy.com. So, and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. And it's all one word. Okay, Bobby and the word and spelled out Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, and Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E dot com. We're talking about Robert Kahn. He's got some other great insights, not just about bicycle safety, but about, well, interpersonal conflict in relationships, divorce. How do kids uh, bounce back from that? We're going to cover that in our final segment today. Stay tuned. We want to really help fortify our kids, our families throughout Indian country and beyond. We've got those final messages coming up right after these words. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. 
Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Robert Kahn, he is a law enforcement officer, at least that's his history, educator and author. He's been sharing with us some really practical things that can make a difference for our families throughout Indian country and beyond. Bob, before we stepped away, we were speaking about a couple of other books that we really have only mentioned. One of them has to do with bicycle safety, and I think the knee-jerk response for most people today is, well, bicycle safety, you know, you're supposed to wear a helmet. Isn't that pretty much the message? Help us to understand this uh, really important topic. Okay, well, the reason that one got started, uh, about three years after I swapped from teaching to law enforcement full-time, one of my old sixth grade students was in a bicycle wreck. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's got to be something we can do to prevent this. So I got together with an NHP trooper and we piloted a bicycle safety program throughout the whole county. And from that, I ended up writing the bicycle safety tip book, which has all the tips in it, how to be safe on your bike. So clearly, one of the things that's been emphasized in a lot of contexts is wearing protective headgear for people who are on a bicycle. But what are some other important things that might be overlooked? To stay in your lane, to ride safely. I mean, today, children just, they don't look and they just zig in front of your car and they pull out in front. And a lot of these accidents can be avoided where children end up in the hospital very seriously because they just did what they thought and didn't look first to see if there was a car coming. No, I mean, that's a hugely important message. And I know growing up in a, in a very urban area, um, you know, I remember a friend getting hit by a car and he seemed like he was doing everything right, riding along with the flow of traffic. He was in the shoulder, but someone got too close and it wasn't a serious accident, but threw him in the ditch And, you know, the question I think sometimes comes, are there certain places, certain roads that are intrinsically dangerous that maybe you shouldn't be on maybe some of these high volume, higher speed roads? Do you give some insights into how a family or a a child might gauge the safety of where they're wanting to ride, even if they're following all the rules? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I was in junior high, one of my friends got killed at nighttime on a bicycle. And unfortunately, he had dark clothing on. So mm-hmm. that's one of the big tips in the, in the book, not to be in dark clothing at nighttime. That's a hugely important message, and I appreciate you bringing that to light. So you can't be too visible if you're on a bike, right? Exactly. And you can't be too safe. And a lot of times, drivers get distracted, so you got to be prepared for that, too. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they still text. They talk on their phone, you know, things which takes their eyes off the road. Now, thanks for those reminders. What about this other topic? Because it's one that, again, is, yeah, it, it affects people throughout Indian country, but this is a pervasive problem with uh, families that are breaking up, uh, divorce, and, you know, I've heard it. 
whether it's a child, whether it's an adult, oftentimes people blame themselves if they're the child, if they're in a relationship that goes south, they say, well, my parents got divorced because I wasn't kind enough to mommy or you know, I didn't do this for daddy or I wasn't getting good enough grades. Or You've probably heard all these stories. Help us to understand how a child should deal with this very traumatic event in their family life. Right. And adding on to yours, I remember one child told me, my parents explained they were happier before I was born. Well, oh. what did that tell the child? Yeah, um, it talks about that it isn't their fault at all that people grow and unfortunately they grow apart. And the parents still love the child. They just won't be living together and things the child can do. I think probably one of the most difficult things that I see in these relationships is often, especially if it's a rancorous divorce, that it's not uncommon, at least in my experience, for the parents to pit the child, use the child, almost weaponize the child, telling how bad the other parent is. And uh, for those who are not watching video, you're nodding your head. So, so tell us a little bit about why this is resonating with you. Well, why that resonates the most with me is uh, in law enforcement, the child a lot of times became the pawn. And that's the thing definitely not to do. Don't put your child in the middle of all that. You know, um, that's very bad. And it, it, it was a power tool. Well, if you don't do this, you won't see Johnny on Sunday or whatever. Mm. You know, that's the wrong thing to do. I realize the parent's trying to make a point, but that's never a good way. So help us to understand this, too, because we hear a lot about uh, child abductions, and it often seems that there is, many times at least, uh, some kind of estrangement in a relationship, at least from a lot of the stories I've heard, from someone in law enforcement. Is this really that common a scenario that there'll be a, a divorce or a separation, and then uh, one of the parties is trying to uh, take the child uh, from the other one? Yes. When I was in law enforcement, um, we used to get calls, and it's it's whichever one, the mother or the father. But we had one where the father took the child to Mexico. Luckily, eventually he came back. But that was a really tough one. Because, yeah, they are, um, they're miffed that they didn't get the custody or the control of the child. And they're going to prove a point. So I know a lot of your books are written, especially with the child in mind. And, and this is a very... A uh, serious, a dangerous situation when a child has been forcibly taken somewhere else. Any insights from your experience what a child should do in that circumstance? Try again, always try to cause as much, bring as much attention to yourself as you can, because who can help you or other people? Being, being alone is no good, or being quiet is no good. Cause commotion, get, get help. These are so uh, important, these messages, uh, Bob, that you've been writing about, that you've been teaching about. Can you help as we're winding things up? Can you give my listeners uh, just some final insights from your work as a teacher in law enforcement? What would be some of the key take-home messages? Say, hey, listen, if you watch this show, don't leave this program without taking these uh, several lessons with you. The main topic or the main point is spend time with your child and listen and listen to their concerns. And if they bring up stranger danger, if you're not the expert, get a book, read it with them, and go over it with them every few weeks. 
the bully problem again listen to your child that's the key to every one of my topics a good touch bad touch of course that's a bad one because a lot of times the bad person has really threatened this child and again not a secret to be kept and the earlier that it gets unraveled the um, more help there is for the child too or they don't have to have years of guilt Uh, one of my friends the other day he just told me his granddaughter had that happen to him so we had a long talk you know always be there to listen to your child i think one of the more perplexing things and i know we don't have time to fully explore it but you mentioned this with bullies that often someone who's bullying has been a victim Uh, They've been bullied themselves. And I know we hear often the same thing when it comes to abuse, that often abusers were themselves abused at one point. Uh, From your perspective over the years, have you gained any insight into messaging for kids? If a child is the victim of abuse, is there anything that you've tried to educate them about so that they wouldn't become a perpetrator down the road? Absolutely. And that's where counseling comes in. I recommend get as much help for the child as you can, because you're right. Um, A child that was abused, a lot of times grows up to be an abusive parent. And, you know, we've got to stop this line of destruction. Bob, thank you so much for raising your voice, encouraging uh, children and others to raise their voices in the face of some of these things that have really been undermining the health of communities, of societies, of tribes, whatever perspective we want to put it in. As we uh, wind down, I know there's some who very well could have just jumped onto the show, just caught maybe some of the last few minutes. You've got a great website. One more time, how does someone uh, tap into your resources, pick up your books, as well as getting some of the other free resources you have? Okay, well, my books are on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com. But my website is bobbyandmandy.com. And it explains about me. It explains about the books. And you can order the books right from the website. It's very easy. Wonderful. And I've, I've written it down, Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, the word and, A-N-D, Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E.com. Correct. And um, I have a 1963 Ford Galaxy patrol car called Barney. You'll see it on the site, too. And it's what I take when I go to do presentations. Very nice. Very nice. So if there's folks still in Northern California, Reno uh, area, you still do live uh, in-person talks? Absolutely. There's a thing on my website. You can contact me direct. And you can send me an email. It comes right to me. Beautiful. Okay, I got it. BobbyandMandy.com. Bob, thanks so much for all your great work. Thank you. And thank you for each one who's joined us today on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.